Hello. We would like to talk to you about Luke Shen. Do you have Luke Shen? If you don't, you might want to get tested. Side effects are not knowing Hello. what's happening, confusion, strange looks. Do you have Luke Shen? See a doctor today. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Unite podcast. This is a big day. Uh, it's kind of the culmination, last stretch of the season for hockey. Today was trade deadline day. Although this year, it seemed like more like a trade deadline month. We're going to break everything down, winners and losers, talk about themes, before we get there, we have our esteemed panel of uh, co-hosts with us uh, who are looking very excited for uh, the month of March and the push to the playoffs. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Happy to be here, buddy. As always, happy to be here. Always yeah. a pleasure. Yay, trades. <laughs> <laughs> So normally it's almost like a quasi holiday here in Canada trade deadline day. Each station does their, you know, breakdowns, they do skits, they go from you know 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. when the deadline happens. Uh sometimes it's very exciting, lots of people to talk to. Other times, like today, very dead. But that's because a lot of the action already happened. And sometimes when it happens, it usually happens the week of the trade deadline. And, you know, when more and more trades happen before the day, you can kind of see people being like, oh, I guess, you know, deadline day is going to be boring or not going to watch. Our deadline day started uh, way, way back on January 30th, 2023. And from there on, Teams who wanted to make a move or feel like they needed to make a move or make a push began then. And it stopped uh, just after 3 p.m. Uh, today on March the 3rd. What is everyone's take on how wild this trade season uh, went this year? I don't think I've ever seen so many contending teams actually load up at the same time. Usually, you know, when you've got, like, we'll use the Eastern Conference as it's what we're going to be talking about the most. You've got six heavyweights in there this year that are just each one capable of going all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and winning it. And yes, God, I hate to miss that. includes Toronto. Um, don't shoot me. Sens, Habs fans, and Boston fans in on, on this podcast. On paper, they have a chance. Reality, different story. Uh, but every every one of them really swung for the fences, except Carolina. But everybody else swung for the fences with big additions. And we'll get into the details of that right, later on. But quickly, Ryan O'Reilly to Toronto. Tarasenko and Kane to the Rangers. Dimitri Orlov, Tyler Batuzzi, all the way to Boston. Uh, New Jersey getting to Timo Meyer. I don't think I've ever seen so many teams load up with major acquisitions at one deadline. Usually it's like two or three teams with the big additions and then a bunch of other guys doing a lot of smaller quantity over quality 
additions, but this year was just mind blowing. Yeah, you said it. Um, the East, <clears throat> especially the East, loading up. The West, I mean, what was their big move? Laura Zeller going to Colorado? Right? Like, the West really didn't do much at all. Um, but yeah, Toronto, that O'Reilly one kind of came out of nowhere. I had heard earlier that they were in, because uh, Tarasenko got traded to the Rangers a few days before. So Patrick Kane was all upset, and I had heard there was a slight chance Kane could have gone to Toronto, and then all of a sudden it's O'Reilly. So that one came out of left field. Uh, but I want to say thank you to Lamorello for getting us started, getting this whole party started a month ago with the big one, Horvat going to the Islanders. And uh, yeah, just some crazy deals. I honestly forgot the uh, West existed during this uh, trade deadline month, will you say? Basically a month almost. Um, there was just teams left, right, and center. There was maybe like five in total in the West compared to the East. Like It was wild. And it was, it was nice seeing it spread out so much because you could actually like take in, I feel, what each trade did for a team and you're slowly starting to see the players that were traded for either make a difference or kind of start in their lineups for some of the teams. So it was kind of nice to see, and you could really top it all at once. But my goodness, was it, uh, we were spoiled. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll go from the meme that I saw the other day. The 2023 NHL trade deadline was an arms race competition for supremacy and nuclear warfare between the Atlantic and Metropolitan Division and, to a lesser extent, the West. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, all those big teams loading up. It was, it, it's been an interesting month, month and a bit. That's a great way to put it. That That's exactly what it is. And... I it it literally turned into an arms race and I took that as a theme and we'll get to it uh, a little bit later on um but let's go back to January 30th Bo Horvat is traded to the Islanders thus beginning the dismantle of Vancouver um did we think it would turn into this explosion did we think you know, do you think that lit a fire under teams being like, oh, shit, we're starting this now? All right, like, here we go. I think Jeff O'Neill said it best, actually, on TSN's Trade Center program. By the time the calendar flips, you know what you've got. You know what you are. You know what your potential is. Um, the question is, how fast are you going to act on it? Uh, I think Lou Lamorell uh, decided... He was going to act fast, but what it did was I think it woke everybody up to being that they were going to need extra time to negotiate, bringing in third teams. I don't think we've seen so many deals involve a third team. Um, and there was talk of some deals maybe needing a fourth team potentially, uh, but that never actually materialized. But so everyone started negotiating sooner and earlier and more aggressively 
And that's why I think we started seeing those trades coming in February 9th, 17th, 19th, all, all. And then it really started to pick up like every, every day or every second day, there was a big trade going down pretty much trying to see who, who can outdo the other uh, pretty much some, each general manager turning to the other saying, hold my beer. Um, but I, I think definitely the, this is like the last ramification of COVID that we're feeling that because the cap has been only going up a million bucks a year for the last three years that teams needed help from, you know, Arizona or Anaheim or someone else to get involved, Montreal in a couple of cases, just to get involved, to take some, take on a little extra salary, just even for, just for a season to make cap hits work. And you saw that the negotiations start much earlier because of that. I also think like getting your um, <clears throat> your trades done earlier, it gives your team a few extra weeks to gel, mm-hmm. um, and you know you're not scrambling at two fifty nine at right before the deadline to think, okay, what do I need to make this team work for the last month of the season? Like Horvat going to the Islanders, <clears throat> they got an extra month out of him. Yep. I don't know how many games they played exactly, but let's just say you know roughly twelve. They got an extra 12 games out of him, right? They're right there in the playoffs. I believe they're the second wild card right now. And they were just outside when they made that trade. So he's making a difference. I know they've played more games than everybody around them. So that might hinder them coming down the stretch. But they're right there. And then once, I think once the Rangers made the move for Tarasenko, that's when like Toronto, the Devils, Boston, uh, you know, they were like, okay, well, now we got to at least start looking into making moves or else we're going to get run over to the playoffs. Looking at that Rangers offense. On paper, the Rangers offense looks scary. See how they gel over the next few weeks. You said it best, though, Sean. Like, it really gave those teams, like the Islanders, a whole extra month with a player. And started early, like, if you didn't start after that, like, there was time, oh, there was all these players up for grabs that you could have easily lost out on. Like, I mean, Tarasenko went February 9th. And, like, from there on, it was just trickle big star after big star and trade. That if you didn't start early, you're, you snooze, you lose. Maybe next year or whenever some of those, uh, players became free agents. So it was it was a trickle domino effect big time. Yeah, you guys all said it the best. Um just I think that was the kick in the butt that everybody needed to kind of get rolling in this arms race as I put it. Do you think that this is gonna be not as many trades the normal, but you know, using the day as a barometer and obviously getting a feel of how, you know, the league is, um, you know, like you guys have said, getting that extra few weeks of gelling instead of just hoping for the best on a day like today and then they get there tomorrow, maybe play Saturday, if not Monday, Tuesday, and you're literally 20 games or less left not a lot of time to to gel 
this, you know, a little over double of what a rookie gets before their contract kicks in. So uh, do you think teams are going to be pushing for earlier trades in the future uh, so that uh, gelling does happen easier? They get more time together. On the big trades, yes. So when we see a Ryan O'Reilly or a Tarasenko or a Patty Kane uh, on the, you know, available on the market, I think those trades will happen maybe a little sooner. Will they happen a month sooner? Probably not. But I would say we might start seeing a more consistent trend next five to six over the next five to six years that maybe two to three weeks ahead of the actual deadline that one or two of the big names will move. Uh, the teams will pony up a little faster for them, and that the deadline day itself, or that you know the two or three day period surrounding the de- the deadline, will become your secondary and tertiary moves to solidify rosters and do your last minute tinkering. Yeah, or even help those last minute like playoff scenarios where you're so close, like Ottawa, for instance, right now, that one or two players makes the world a difference and you go out and get them ahead of time. So you have those extra games just in case, if you can make that last minute push, do it now. And with the cap slowly starting to go up in those next five years, like you were saying, Charles, I think you're going to see a big change for those bigger players. At least teams aren't really going to wait anymore. I think too, with the big names that, there's a lot of moving parts, especially with salary cap not going up by a lot. So it takes a little more time to kind of put these together. You're not putting a big trade together, kind of like a Tarasenko or a Horvat style trade today. So that's that's generally why I think they happen earlier, um, especially in this era of COVID where the cap has not gone up or gone up by very little. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think we'll start to see them. The big trades happen a couple weeks before. And we'll just take the one, like this year, with Lamorello. Just as soon as that one GM decides to do it, it's a copycat league. Right? Everyone's going to start getting in on the on the fun. Yeah. If you don't, you're going to be left behind, like the West. Or Carolina. I think Carolina was more deliberate if I'm being honest. I, uh, you know what? Deliberate, yes. And th- th- they, they were very adamant that they weren't going to overpay for rentals. But considering what some of the players went for and what Carolina could have done, I think they got a little – I think it was a combination of sticking to being too rigid, sticking to their guns, but also being gun-shy at the same time. Well, there, there, there are some teams, or there, at least fans or pundits, if you will, that you know look at some trades and they're like, "Oh, that's it? Like that? That was all you wanted? Well, we could have done that." So I think maybe there is a little bit of a lore of like, "Oh, like I don't even want to know what they're asking." Kind of like when you look at a, a house, you're just like, "Ah, oh, that's expensive. I don't even want to know how much." Um, so maybe. There is that allure of big names, but more accommodating prices. Well, I, I, 
I think uh, the best example of that, Justin, just right to your point, is the interview Pierre Dorian gave right off the top this morning uh, at around 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, I was talking with James Duffy, and they had been in touch over the last few months here and there with Arizona. Hadn't talked about Chitron for two, three weeks. But then Bill Armstrong called and said, hey, make me an offer. And in the pace of 24 hours, he's an Ottawa senator. Yeah, for less than what you expect someone like that to go for. Well, remember, to the chagrin of Buffalo fans everywhere as Sean nods his head. (laughs) (laughs) I think also, um, and we touched on this the other day, uh, I think also the big thing that tipped it in Ottawa's favor was that that they they took the full contract. They didn't ask for any retention. And then from anything I've I've seen, Buffalo was asking for 15-20%. And that's what tilted it in Ottawa's favor. Which I don't understand because the Sabres have a load of cap room with that. I'll be a salty Sabres fan on trade deadline day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They may have loads of cap room now, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Don't they have a couple of RFAs coming up in a year that's going to need some some of that cap room? I mean, yes. Like, Darlene will get paid in the next couple of years. Thompson and Cousins contracts will kick in next year. Paterka and Quinn, they'll need contracts in the next couple of years, but he Chikrin's contract was for the caliber of player he is. Oh, super team friendly. Oh. Oh yeah. But it's, and, it's, enough, it's enough at this point in time. I mean, it might have it might have hurt them. Yeah. So remember Ottawa did themselves a big favor sending Zaitsev out back on the twenty second, I think it was, to Chicago. So it pretty much it was Contract out and the exact same contract coming back in. So and that's exactly why they did that. Yeah, well, we, we, everyone here, the, the media, uh, I know no one else is around the Ottawa area, so you don't, you don't get to hear the media that I hear. They were just in a feeding frenzy. Oh, Zeit says that, Zeit says that, that must mean Chitron's coming in, must mean that. It's like, and like, whoa, whoa, Tabernak, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't know what's, we don't know for sure. No one knows for sure. Uh, and as it was, it wasn't until just the other day, right? Well, the 28th. Yeah. So. Well, it's, you know, I think you really need a degree in capology. Just looking oh. at all of the cap spaces, projected hits, you know, teams have 9 to 10 long-term injury reserve. We'll get into that a little bit later because that's one of the themes. Arizona. Um, but <laughs> so we go from Bo Horvat to February 9th when the Rangers begin to build uh, their army, if you will, with Vladimir Tarasenko coming over from the Blues. Uh, and about a week later, Ryan O'Reilly going from the Blues again, the Blues just dismantling it and going to Toronto, uh, two major trades. Um, that really kind of opened everyone's eyes and went, oh, this is going to be a race. It, it was pretty much there that the uh, the declaration of war was sent out from the Eastern Conference to the rest of the league that the road to the Stanley Cup final in the East is going to be war. It's going to be absolute hell and Either the team that comes out of the East will be so battle hardened that 
they will sweep the Western Conference representative or they'll be so beat up that they'll be swept by the Western Conference representative. I think they'll only be swept if it's Colorado. But uh, going to those two Blues trades, though, I think they're actually smart moves by the Blues to get rid of those two guys and get the returns they got, especially the first-round picks. I think they have three now this year. I remember with the uh, conditional first that came in the the Tarasenko trade. Yeah, I believe it was uh, the conditional first. The Rangers have two, and whatever one is the later one goes to St. Louis. They got theirs and balances, I believe. Rangers have to make the conference finals, I believe. Okay. Um, Either way, though, the Blues, you know, they got rid of older guys. They're now – who's their GM again? I forget his name. Um, John Davidson, isn't it? No, he's the president. Excuse me. Yeah, either way. Oh, Oh, come to me eventually. But he saw, like, you know, St. Louis, they're not going to be contending this year, probably next year. But he's able to get younger guys, get some draft picks, and let the them kind of develop over the next few years, and then they'll be a contender again. And I think that was kind of what the West was doing as a whole, was just like, okay, the East is loading up. We're just going to, you know, let them have it this year, and we'll – bide our time for a couple of years. Um, but I did like those moves by St. Louis. Doug Armstrong. Doug Thank Ar- you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I kept wanting to say Bill Armstrong, but I'm like, no, that's Arizona's. That's, yeah, I know. Yeah, doing the same thing, and then I, I broke down and I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I think Sean's kind of got a, you know very much uh, nail on the head right there. You know, the West is going to sort of take a step back for a couple of years. A couple of their, you know, contending teams of the last decade are going to retool, rebuild. And next four to five years, outside of Colorado and Edmonton, Dallas, and maybe Winnipeg, uh, you know, it'll be very much an Eastern dominant playoff pitcher. But then the pendulum will swing back, and the West will be once again dominant by the end of this decade. Is it safe to say that teams, looking at the standings, uh, the East is different because uh, only three teams are really out of it right now, um, Philadelphia, Montreal, and Columbus. Uh, but in the West, I mean, everyone from St. Louis down, so you got St. Louis, Vancouver, Arizona, San Jose, Anaheim, and Chicago, uh, they're they're out of it. St. Louis is well, at even 59. like Calgary, like they're in ninth, and they're like I think six or seven points out of the wild card spot. Not saying but, they're out of it. Five. Okay, thank you. Like not saying they're out of it, but like that's still a lot to gain at the end of the season. The West is like so close together within point range. It's insane. Hmm. Yeah. No, the, the West. The West isn't that oh. close. Some of the teams. Did I look at that wrong? I think you did. The 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 division guys are fairly close. Like I think the, Edmonton yes, is the in the division, wild card, and they're one point out or tied with the third place team. They're tied. They're tied with Seattle, yeah. but Seattle has it because they have uh, one game in hand right now. 
Yeah. Uh, there's only but there's only one team not in a playoff spot in the West who could even strike, and that's Calgary. Yes. Whereas in the East right now, there's four, and you could argue five teams that could strike out that are outside exactly. of the playoff spot. Yeah. So it's yeah much tighter, which is one of the reasons why we saw so many trades and jostling for players in the East because this is this is the time it's you make the playoffs and anything can happen which is the great thing about hockey um yeah from there we go into uh the next massive trade although one trade i do like is uh nito nito rider going to winnipeg uh he's always been a great uh you know, third line, second line, great fantasy player, always gets points. Um, so I think he'll uh, make an impact in Winnipeg, which they kind of need. Uh, the next All major cost of the second round next year, too. Yeah. Uh, the next major trade was the massive one uh, with New Jersey and San Jose. With a total of one, two, three, four, five, eleven, nine players, and four picks. Yeah. Just absolute buffoonery. Sometimes these happen on trade days where you're just like, what? Why? Who? What was that for? But the big name was Timo Meyer, uh, leaving San Jose. Uh, San Jose is once again a shell of itself. The usual perennial playoff uh, favorite is uh, really needs a new identity because they are certainly not that, and they refused to rebuild. And this is the risk you take when you refuse to rebuild and try something new, and you overplay lots of players. Uh, and there, you're seeing this happen right now. Uh, this is when New Jersey entered the conversation saying, hey, remember that good start we had? It wasn't a fluke. We're here to stay. Um, do you think this woke up everyone else in the Metro that went, oh, like, it's not going to be a cakewalk? I don't know if it so much woke up everybody else in the Metro as so much said to the rest of the NHL, we're not, we're not Cinderella that New Jersey was here, like, like you said, New Jersey's here to stay, and they're here to be a force, and that their time, to quote John Cena, their time is now. Um, you know, they, we, we, New Jersey, like Ottawa, Buffalo uh, as well, all went through a lot of years of turmoil after, after their last taste of success when they were in the 2012 uh, finals against L.A. and were summarily pounded by the L.A. Kings. Um they haven't really been terribly relevant the whole time. They've had the odd playoff appearance here and there, but nothing of consequence really. So this was sort of the, been a, a very painful rebuild at times for the New Jersey and its fan base. But, you know, the patience with getting Hughes and Mercer, and I could go on and on about the entire youthful base that they have there. Uh, really, always wondering would they have could they get a goaltender to stay healthy? They've got everything so far clicking this year, and this was sort of the announcement saying 
now you got to pay attention to us. I think it was just more like, so obviously the Rangers had already got Tarasenko. And then there was all of the Patrick Kane talk to the Rangers. So the Devils, who they will, unless something crazy happens, first round matchup is New Jersey and, and the Rangers. So the Devils, like, okay, well, how are you going to compete in a seven game series against what the Rangers are doing? Timo Meyer really helps that. My only thing with this trade is how the hell did San Jose not get one of the Devils' top prospects? Like Luke Hughes. Yeah. Dawson Mercer, uh, Simone Nemich. Like, how do you make this trade and you don't get one of the top prospects if you're rebuilding? They should have gotten like Nemich for best, two right. Yeah, like the best prospect the Sharks got, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's the Mukamadulin, the Russian kid. Um, You know, like he, he could be a decent NHLer, but... I mean, he's not one of the big guys, and Timo Meyer, you know, on a good team, he's a 35, 40 goal scorer. Well, I already the Devils are a good team. He, yeah, I believe he does, yes. I mean, yeah, San Jose did get a, two, a 2023 first guaranteed, a conditional first next year. But yeah, they, they, maybe Justin, Kenzie, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. But the last time I remember a big name being traded and so little in the way of quality going back was when the, uh, the Capitals sent Yager to the Rangers. Maybe I'm missing something in between, but I don't think so. I don't remember the last time a big name went somewhere and so little came out of it. Even Ottawa got better for, John, for Eric Carlson. Nothing's coming to mind. Yes, exactly. No. I, Timo Meyer. I mean, okay, Sean for for, for Buffalo. If if you were going to get Timo was another Meyer, guy that was rumored a long shot, but he was another guy, and the Sabers package was so much better. What yeah, was rumored? Casey Middlestad has to go for sure. And two of the prospects, uh, like Yuri Kulich, who had a coming out party at the juniors. Woo, did he ever? And uh, and then either one of the other three, Isaac Rosanian, Noah Oselin, or Matty Savoy, right? Like two of those guys were going to be included. Plus a first rounder. Exactly. Plus a first rounder, plus a roster player. Like it was all oh, these trades that were rumored and never came to fruition for us Sabres. And I could, ask, I could ask the Ottawa fans on the podcast here. Uh, your, your package for Timo Meyer would have had to start with Ridley Gregg. And Shane Pinto. There, there's, there's a few trades here where the word fishy comes to mind, and that kind of plays into the the one of the themes that we keep, you know, capology, if you will. Um, but there's, I don't know. Maybe everyone got it really wrong on what players were worth or what they were saying they were going to go for, but. There are lots of trades where a few years ago, it, like you said, it would have been multiple first rounders, prospect, and active player just for one person. Where some of these trades are like that—that's it. Even for as a rental player, you still have a high premium to pay, and oh. in some trades that did not happen this year. And then you have some trades that were 
probably viewed as a ridiculous overpayment, which would have been on the exact same day as Meyer. Might be the next one you were going to touch, Justin. <laughs> Tanner Janot. Yeah, Tampa Bay, you know, they're always in there. They're always a threat. You, you always they're the uh, the Patriots, if you will, of the NHL right now. They could. Uh, but you know, Cal Foot going the other way to Nashville with five picks. Yeah. Start you know, starting to potentially look like the NBA throwing around twenty twenty five first round picks. Um, at least it's not the NBA where they were, you know, trading 2028 uh, and 2029 uh, first and second round picks, which is just who thinks that far right now. But that's the NBA I must say for about you. This trade, I did like Julian Breezebois, uh very lengthy comments about it, basically paraphrasing, saying everybody puts a, a, a emphasis and a price on what we gave up. But these are all futures that they don't know what they're going to get at that position, that specific draft pick, where they know what they have right now, and they're they're just trying to win the cup. They're about the future in the future, and they're just going for the cup right now. I did like that response because he, because as we all saw, right, five draft picks for a third liner, maybe fourth liner, astronomical well, price. It's well, also thing, as well like. A fifth round, fourth round, and a third round pick. Like, chances are, I would say at least one of them will get traded at some point, <laughs> thrown in another package. Uh, oh, guaranteed. So, so, really, you have your second rounder uh, in 24, and then your first rounder in 25. That could be something. Um, but yeah, there are seven rounds in the NHL draft. Many of those late rounds, I mean, there there are hits. There are certainly players who who hit really, really well, but you know, chances are those are going to be your your development guys, like you said. You you know, fifth round pick this year. Will they will they even make it to the show? I don't know. Another interesting point that uh, was made about how the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, evaluate their own internal assets, specifically draft picks is that they do assign a theoretical dollar value to those picks as to what they would have to pay someone initially coming as if on an entry-level contract and their first con- and the, 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 a bridge deal. So they actually have they have a rough monetary value of what those five draft picks are worth and what they're going to pay Tanner Janot and what their potential reward is. So they, they look at it also from a dollars and cents point of view. Uh, so while the amount of assets people have been balking at like crazy. We, we've touched it twice, both Sean and Justin, that we touched it. The third, fourth, and fifth rounders face astronomical odds to ever make it to the show and have an impactful career. Sometimes they'll make it for a cup of coffee, and that's about all they see. So really, giving up a first and a second, really the only two things of value, plus Cal Foot. you look at it as a minor overpayment, because while, while Tanner Janot's not having a great season this year, he had a good year last year. And he's really going to be a, – he's a Tampa Bay player come playoff time. He's going to be another Brandon Hagel, another Nick Paul. He's going to be the kind of guy who can turn a series and be the, 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 you know, the that last little piece that tips the, the scales in their favor potentially. It's one big thing I've seen this draft – or this um, trade deadline. 
that I, I don't remember seeing for maybe a long time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but all these picks getting flipped around. I'm kind of amazed by that, how teams have kind of devalued some of their own picks and just throw them out like it's basketball. That kind of blew my mind today. Well, this, uh, there was a good, there was a good one on TSN. There was a good one, and they talked just right about that, Kenzie, this morning. Um, from the 2005 to 2014 drafts, all, you know, just all the people taken in the first round, just first rounders. Not even forty percent of them played three hundred and fifty games, and most of them that did were in the top ten. So if you look at where you're going to be, like where where's your first round pick going to be? Is it you know, if it's like spots twenty two through thirty two, it's kind of now viewed almost as a second round pick. So it doesn't carry the same weight as it once did. Everyone had to hold on to their first back in the late nineties, early two thousands, because you always thought you were going to hit the a diamond in the rough in the first round that everyone in the first round could have a great, a great career. Uh, but not so anymore as it's actually increasingly hard to find a late first rounder that actually is that gem you're looking for. You have a, you actually have a better luck finding them in the second round than do late in the first round. So that's your first round picks, especially the teams that would be sitting spots 20 to 22 right to the end aren't worth as much as they used to be. I think now too, it also depends on the year, like this draft year, you know, very exceptional. Uh, Sometimes it's only, you know, top, maybe top five. And then it's, you know, who knows? Um, But, you know, these teams are looking four or five years in the future to kind of get a, taste of what that draft class will be like and you know maybe to them as of right now again it's a gamble because that can all change the matter of development and you know discoveries uh but you know to some teams maybe 2025 is not going to be a strong draft class so why why waste a first round pick and you know reevaluate in a few years so there it's a estimation. It's a, a guess. It's gambling. It's, you know, right here, right now, this is where we're at. We don't know where the future is. Well, it sounds like a teenage movie. You know, we're here, right here, right now. Let's just live in the moment. Don't worry well, about actually, our future. Well, well, actually, just for a second there, Justin, you know, you, you, you skirted around actually a pretty good idea about a philosophy. Uh, we talked about it a few minutes ago. You know, the, the Western Conference teams will take a step back and they'll retool and they'll rebuild. A couple of the teams, and, you know, just I'll throw out you know, Nashville and Chicago, who really picked up a lot of assets at this trade deadline. Uh, who says they're going to keep all those draft picks? Because they're going to retool and, re- and quickly rebuild, and they might use those future assets. That, tw- that 2025 first that uh, Tampa sent to Nashville in, in the Janot trade, might get flipped for some help down as Nashville makes a playoff push that year. So God only knows what's gonna what, what the 2025 draft will look like. And exactly right, who's going to – do you want to keep a first-round pick? Do you want to use that to acquire an impactful player? Exactly, so, yeah. Like, a few draft picks get you an NHL-ready player. Exactly. Uh, 
For all we know, that 2025 first might find its way back to Tampa Bay in a couple of years. They might need it with all the picks they've given up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next big trade came to Toronto uh, with Chicago, uh, where they received Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, plus a few conditionals. Um, you know, Toronto feeling like they weren't content. They needed more. Uh, they certainly were a little thin on D, and uh, they got their D-man, if you will. Um, one of them. One of them. It You know, they weren't done with the D, but uh, they realized that was an area where they absolutely, if they were going to advance, you kind of need defense. You know, I think I like that. being so hot and cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I what, the I, funny I, I meme think... that I saw was the uh, Brady Bunch picture with the Leafs. <laughs> but it's that it's crazy to think though they got all these players with how little of money they still have. Um, but that was their biggest thing was their defense. Their biggest downfall. They have all these top top forwards, top centermen, and then adding O'Reilly was a huge game changer. But at the end of the day, if they don't have the defense to back it up, they're still the same old Leafs. Well, there was a there's been a lot of talk over the years. You know, the Leafs have had six straight first round exits, and that I believe is tied for an NHL record or it's tied for second on longest consecutive first round uh, knockouts. But the revolving comment that always keeps going around the Leafs of the last few years is, yeah, sure, they've got they, they've got the offensive firepower, but they're missing pieces. They're missing players. They're missing this. They're missing – right to your point, Cole, they're missing defensemen because they would have Morgan Riley and, like, one other guy who was capable of playing, but he had to play with Riley. So then they're – the bottom four defensive and raw were just, you know, nobodies who couldn't handle it. So getting Jake McCabe and yes, I'm getting a little ahead here, but getting Eric Gustafson, which they did the very next day, uh, losing Jake Muzzin for the year took away a lot of their snarl. They only had really Mark Giordano back on, on the back end who had any kind of a snarl to his game, any kind of grit. So getting up Jake McCabe, who he's, he can hold his own. And then getting Gustafson, who can more than hold his own, they, in essence, rebuilt their entire defense core in a span of 36 hours. And don't forget, they also got Luke Shen to hit a few people. And I was going to get to Luke Shen as well. There you go. <laughs> he, I, I, I think he is the league leader in hits, is he not? He is. Thank he is. you. So, yeah, so they've rebuilt their entire defense core. And now Timothy Lindgren, who was on the number, number five, number 60, is now the number seven defenseman on that team. And that 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 least defense has a lot of snarl to protect their goaltender, and you know everyone was saying you know and even I said it uh, to a few friends that the Leafs should go out and maybe pick up a goalie just to reinforce themselves, but it's quite possible that they don't need to, that the offensive and defensive additions that they've made could be enough that a guy like Samsonov could be enough to 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 help them win. Um, we'll talk about that maybe later in the show or down there as we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, maybe Muzzin getting hurt was almost the best thing that could have happened to them. 
you know, using that old injury, oh, they're better for the playoffs rule, just uh, – uh, Muzzin won't be ready for the playoffs, though. Muzzin's career could be over. Yeah. Oh, see, that's that's how often I pay attention to Toronto. Just <laughs> well, being four hours north, there uh, you get quite a bit of their quite a bit of their news as well. So we had a I few... unfortunately live in the market. <laughs> yeah, oh. you can't get away, Sean. Just oh. <laughs> I want to reach out and hug you, buddy. <laughs> so we had a few minor trades in between there. Uh, Jesse Pulveyarvi getting traded after months of rumors here in Edmonton. Uh, and then Toronto had the next uh, big trade again with Eric Gustafson coming over from Washington where they sent Rasmus Sandin and a first-round pick this year. Uh, again, if they don't get out of the first round, that's another gamble. Uh, and then two more trades, like we mentioned, Luke Shen coming over from Vancouver. Uh, and then Edmonton getting their defenseman that they absolutely needed because you know you can score all you want but you can still lose a six to five game or a seven to six game so they get uh matthias ekholm from nashville uh sending tyson berry over he again was also rumored uh in trades or as a necessity to uh be traded to get someone in return a first round pick this year uh, but if they have, you know, another showing like they did, making it to the Western Conference final, that'll be a, a last four pick uh, and a fourth rounder. Uh, and this really began, you know, February 28th. This is when everything kind of ramped up even more with the amount of major trades, if you will, uh, going into the final week. Uh, New York getting their guy uh the place that he wanted to go patrick kane uh this one was you know we heard that it happened and then just you know a defenseman a conditional second rounder and a fourth rounder and you kind of think like it's patrick fucking kane doesn't matter if it's a rental years ago that would have been a first uh, a Multiple. prospect, and then maybe a third or fourth liner to get someone NHL in there, at least. And you tack on all this, you know, retaining salary, and then Arizona's involved for retaining salary. Just... The fact that the, the Rangers... Sorry, Cole, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Charles. I was going to say, especially for a team like Chicago, who's clearly full sale and like rebuild mode heavily now, I want to get as much possible out of a player that's been here for 16 years, won three Stanley Cups. Like, it comes with the name and his skill set. I don't know how they didn't walk out with bank out of that one yeah I was, just, I was gonna say chicago really did not handle that properly they were sort of handcuffed because really the rangers was the only place that patty king was willing to waive his no trade so they couldn't really hold the rangers up for ransom 
unfortunately. True. But to only get a conditional second this year and then a fourth in two years' time, plus like a, a nobody prospect defenseman, really? That all you're going to get for a three-time cup champ with 1,225 points? I had a chance to see Patty Kane just a couple weeks ago when he was here in Ottawa. And, yeah, he's not quite as fast as he once was. He's still got fucking hands. He's, he went top shelf on Matt Sogard, who is damn near six foot eight, and then on skates six foot eleven. So you think about going high and beating him top corner. How hard is that? Damn near like only Paddy Kane and Connor McDavid could have made that shot. Only two guys on this planet could have made that shot. And Paddy Kane had a game of his life. He had two goals uh, in that game, and you know he was a, a driving force. And I still don't know how Chicago didn't get a first-round pick or at least a conditional first-round pick out of this one. Um, and the fact that the Rangers only got Patty Kane for having to pay $2.5 on, on, on the cap. Wow. Tell you how they did that, Charles. Chris Drury went to the Blackhawks GM saying, this is all you're getting. He's only coming to us. You're not going to take it. You're stuck with him for the rest of the year. You get nothing. He walks for free July 1st. This is what you're getting. You don't want it. We'll see him July 1st. Yeah, but at the same time, okay, that doesn't do you good this year. And you're going all in this year. I don't know. To me, that's peanuts. So I would have been like, all right, cool. You can have him July 1st. Like, uh, but I don't know. Everyone has, everyone has to be nice and everyone's friends. And, but, well, I just think Chicago's just so bad they needed something. Well, like they've already like like Taves, who knows what's gonna happen with uh Taves' career, right? He's got the the health issues from long term COVID and the chronic immunal response, something along those lines. I might have butchered that, but you know, he's got long term health health problems, so he might be done. Let's just say he retires at the end of the season. Probably will. So he can't get anything for him now. Patrick Kane's going to walk at the end of the season because he's not sticking around. You had to get something. Yes, it's a second. I mean, Sebastian Ajo is a second-round pick. Not saying there's a Sebastian Ajo in this draft, but, I mean, there could be. You know, and you just got to get something for him, and maybe they can flip that pick as well and get somebody at the draft. You never know. But I was just I just think Chris Drury is like, here you go. If you don't if you don't want this, that's cool. We'll we'll go somewhere else. But he's only coming to us anyways. I think a lot of people and okay, you know, you, you raised a really good point, Sean. You can't really argue that. Um I mean I even I alluded to this because the the, the Hawks were handcuffed by Patty Kane only going to go one spot. Uh I think a lot of people, myself included, were a little, you know, had the little that that itch in the base of your that itch in your head that you can't really get rid of, uh, because Kyle Davidson has butchered and really mismanaged now at least three trades of star players, where he should have gotten a lot more, and now two of them are back in the summer: the Brinkett to Ottawa, Kirby Doc to my Montreal Canadiens, and now Patty Kane, and he couldn't even nail a top end prospect out of any of that. Like, that just doesn't present a great picture to your fan base. Because, you know, Kirby Doc, fine, maybe you don't get a top prospect for a guy 
who hadn't shown his potential yet, but he's shown it pretty good in Montreal this year. But to bring out with a two-time 40-goal scorer and Patty Kane, we know his accolades. How do you not get a first-rounder or a top-end prospect for either one of those guys is beyond me. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like I said, I just think Chris Drury just had the offer and said, this is what, this is it. And he was like, okay, I guess it's something. But that's just my things. I mean, hey, if I was a Blackhawks fan, I'd be pissed. Like you, like you rightfully said, right? You get nothing for these guys. But luckily, I'm not a Blackhawks fan, so I can rip on them a little bit more. So, <laughs> <laughs> And Sophie's not here to defend herself. Just <laughs> darn. <laughs> I think Sean should be glad Sophie's not here because she's been carrying him a new one right about now. Oh, I can hang with the best of them, Charles. <laughs> oh, I know you can't believe me, but still. <laughs> well, then we get into the dirty side of trading where LA did Jonathan Quick dirty after all his years of service, although I guess it's a business, but they send him to tropical, lovely Columbus. Where is Columbus again? Can you remind me? He showed it on a map for me. Uh, <laughs> it's just off the coast of Florida, right? Like that's right. That's that's Cuba. Oh, uh, you know, seas. Cuba, I get them mixed Columbus. up. You know, island. <laughs> you know, armpit of Ohio. You know, just. I mean, unless you play for the Cleveland Cavaliers, you pretty much are on an island in Ohio. There's nothing else there. Oh, H. There's Ohio State, man. Can't be saying that. They're in Columbus as well. I'm not a Buckeyes yeah. fan, by the way. I despise the Buckeyes. I'm just putting it out there. They are in Columbus. <laughs> like I never knew Ohio State was actually in Columbus. I thought it was outside like like Michigan was. I thought that was the appeal of the, oh, our town is bigger and better than your town. But, well, you know, Ann Arbor is bigger and better than Columbus. So it just... Uh, but don't worry, Jonathan Quick got out of there real, real, real quick. <laughs> but um, um, and then we get into March, the next big trade. My team pulling the trigger, sending picks. That's it. All it took was picks. No players, no nothing for Jacob Chikrin to Arizona, uh, and. You know, the rest is no, the rest is in history. We're only a game in. Um, but yesterday, good, a great game, great game made an impact right away against Patty Kane in his first game as a Ranger. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi or Tyler Bertuzzi, oh, not Todd Bertuzzi. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Boston finishing, you know, not done, even though they're way up there in the standings they can't be complacent because they know uh it can fall really really quickly adding grit uh and a player that can help them in the long run from detroit uh do we see this as detroit kind of being like ah it's a long shot um and being like oh we'll take a first rounder this year uh even though they're only six points or uh, seven points out of a playoff spot, do they see themselves as a long shot and not a soft, soft quitting, if you will, from the playoffs? I think I, what Eisman was doing 
was he realized, okay, if they get into the playoffs, odds are it's the second wild card. Mm-hmm. And they're getting Boston in the first round. And he's looking like, all right, my team's, they're playing well this year. They got to the playoffs. They ended their little drought. But there's no way in hell they're beating Boston in a seven-game series. And Iserman's smart enough to know that. He's like, okay, you know, our team's not terrible. Get a few assets here for the draft or can use those at the draft to acquire NHL quality players for next year. And I think that's uh, that's pretty much what he realized because when Ottawa thumped them back-to-back nights, I think he realized that they weren't quite there yet. They, the Detroit's had a great year, and they've, they've probably exceeded expectations uh, that we all had for them. You know, they, they made a lot of the summertime additions, and for the most part, they turned out really well, actually. There hasn't really been much in the way of disappointment from them. Uh, haven't seen as much internal growth from some of the other guys that they would have liked, probably. But, yeah, getting thumped 6-2 and 6-1 by the Senators showed them that, no, they're, the Senators are a little closer than what we are. So we're going to take a step back and we'll sell off a couple of UFAs. You can see how much dealing Tyler Bertuzzi hurt uh, Dylan Larkin. He was almost in tears. Uh, and that's where sometimes the business of hockey really sucks because, you you know, the two of them grew up, they, they came up together. They've known each other for years. And then suddenly now you don't get to see your best friend anymore. And that can be even for grown men, very difficult. But like you said, Sean, you got a 2024 first that, you know, no, it's not going to be a Conor Bedard draft. It'll be the draft afterwards. But it's a still a first-round pick that they can dangle for ready-made NHL help. So it, good trade, tough business. Especially after signing. Finally. And get that done. Yeah, the, the, didn't they just sign Larkin the day before to that eight-year contract? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But it also gives Boston basically a second Brad Marchand. Oh, Bertuzzi yeah. is a like is a very similar player to Marchand. Very irritating. Yeah, not as probably not as skilled as Marchand. But, you know, like he plays a similar game, and now that Boston's got two of them. Hell, I, can't I stand would, one of them on one team. Now they got two. <laughs> I'd actually equate Tyler Pertuzzi as a little more a bigger Brendan Gallagher than Brad Marchand, actually. No, that's fair, too. Still a pain right. to play against. Oh, irritating as hell, but Marchand has actually a really good shot and actually has, you know, while being an irritating son of a bitch, is also – he's got hands. Uh, I equate Bertuzzi to being a bit of a bigger Brendan Gallagher, more, you know, lives in the front of the net, does uh, bangs a lot of pucks in, and just makes you want to well uh, kill him every time he smiles. Personally, I've wanted to do that since he played for Guelph. Yeah, true. Uh, but also with then Taylor Hall and Nikki Foligno going to be out probably till playoff time. At least in Foligno's case, Hall could be done for the year. Um, Bertuzzi definitely helps their third line uh, keep the grit going to keep, to keep the momentum that they've been building all year long because uh, Boston's been a runaway freight train since the puck dropped. So smart 
a smart move all around by the Bruins. Is there any other trade that happened yesterday, today, uh, that we uh, that could be impactful? Um, or should we uh, move on from our trade board and uh, talk about the overarching themes of uh, this trade season? Well, I don't know if it's going to be impactful, but I think the trail of moves that Pittsburgh made to get Mikel Granlin out of Nashville to get Nick Benito out of San Jose. And then who else did they add today? Oh, my brain is not working right now. Uh, Dimitri Kulikov out of Anaheim. Um, You know, they've got Crosby, they've got Malkin, they got Otang signed long-term, so they're trying to give these guys a mini kick of the can. I think that this is probably the best way they could have done to shore up their roster. They were making a big – they tried to make a play for Colton Paranko, but it wasn't going to work. They just couldn't make the – the assets work, you know, going back to St. Louis. That was a trade that would have probably shocked everybody with how much Pittsburgh was going to have to give up, uh, especially with the eight-year cost control that he has now, uh, being the first year of that extension. Um, I, I, you know, I think Jonathan Quick being flipped to Vegas is actually underrated for how much stability he's going to bring to the net while they, while uh, Logan Thompson's out. So, as much as we keep waiting for the bottom to fall out in Vegas, but it hasn't, and I don't think it's going to. Not this year, anyway. You're right. Even with Stone out, I think Vegas is still hanging on somehow. And Justin, I, I, I don't know what the, the media is saying out in, in uh, your end of, end of the country, but there has to be some actual sigh of relief getting Nick Bukestad out of Arizona. That is a big, big centerman. 6'6", you know, 220 pounds. You know, I found a lot of people, like, you know, don't really know who he is. Like, you know, with the name, yeah. as soon as you hear the name, you, you it's a name you remember. So, like, I, I've known of Bukestad for a while. But... It wasn't, it didn't make waves like Ekholm did. Uh, I think that's because the the need, uh, the push of we need defense, 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 defense. And what else do we need? Oh, defense. So the addition of another centerman is, is going to help, but I think they have to, outside of sports talk radio, they have to see him play to understand what he's going to bring and the, you know, how, how deeper it makes Edmonton in center. That's, that's the part that people should have been excited about from the beginning. Cause Nick Bustad is a poor man's Ryan O'Reilly. He does exactly to Edmonton, what ROR is doing in Toronto. He's going to, he can be the third line center naturally, but in the pinch when they need to bump people around, Third period, down a goal. They can throw Kane, Drysaddle, and McJesus together. Then they can throw um, Hyman and Newton Hopkins, and they still have a reliable third-line center who can take face-offs in his own end. He wins. I think he's up around 60% of his face-offs. This guy is one of the best face-off guys in the league this year. He can kill penalties. He's a big body that, you know, he can keep people away from Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell. 
Uh, and he's capable of scoring 20 goals. He's played in Arizona for a few years, so he's not going to score that many down there. Um, that's just a sad fact of life. But he has scored 20 twice, I believe, in his career, at least once with, once with Florida. So the guy can still score. Uh, I, I think that's a highly underrated move. And from a from the offensive perspective and setting your lineup, that that's a big piece, actually, Fig- literally, literally and figuratively. Like Jake, uh, like Jacob uh, in here in Ottawa, he's just solidifies the defense. People would be a little bit more spread out where they can be. Because so, all due respect to Travis Hammond, like he's not a, a, a top four defenseman. He belongs in a third pair. So it's the quiet trades that really pay dividends for many teams. No argument here. All right. So in the course of this trade deadline, if you will, I picked up on three kind of themes, if you will, that I think fit into this trade season. The first one we've touched on a lot. It's the salary dumps. It's the retaining salaries. It's, hey, take this long-term injury reserve player contract and uh you know give us this and we'll totally you know do you a solid and do you think there should be this much like obviously with the cap holds uh and it just starting to go up uh you know starting next year really you know did teams just have to get creative obviously it's within the rules so no one's broken any rules that we know of but it just there's been so much of that this year that it's just kind of it again. It scratches your head. It, should teams be allowed to trade long-term injury reserve contracts? Like looking at the cap, like if you go to cap friendly and you go all the way to the top, Vegas's projected cap hit is at ninety-six million, and their current cap space is, uh, you know, two point nine. But that's long-term injury reserve. Edmonton has zero cap space, but their projected cap hit is 90. So, like, there's there's so much that, you know, it just makes it more complicated to understand, well, why are these teams above the 82.5? You know, how, how does their project, like, how does that all, it just, it's starting to get way to where you need, like, eight people in your math department to make sure that your team's okay. Should should we be getting used to this salary holding, withholding? Should there be any rule changes to like, you can only retain 25%, 15, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, salary retention was something that happened occasionally before, but with COVID and the flat cap, it's really become an art form now. It just... Is is it a norm now that we just have to live with, or do you think the NHL will step in and you know kind of change the rules around it? I think I think it's actually yes to everything in moderation, Justin. Um, should LTIR contracts be able to be traded? Yes, but limited what they can do. No way should Arizona be allowed to have five of them. 
right now. Should limit that to two or three. If you sign the guy and he's LTIR, your problem for the most part. Know who you're signing. Be better. Do better. Have better due diligence before you sign contracts. For the most part, uh, salary retention. We've seen it a lot the last couple of years. That is, I think, a direct byproduct of the of the relatively flat cap, thanks to COVID. Will we see a lot of it going forward? Probably not. But you will still see it from time to time. I think that's a fact we're going to have to get used to. Uh, I have no problem with uh, the initial team keeping salary. I think what they should be able to do then is if you're involving a third team, they can't keep half of the uh, half of the contract they absorb. So Arizona with Patty Kane, they absorb a $5 million cap hit, therefore, or like 5.25, and then they take 2.75 out of that. That should, I think, should be limited to 25%. If you're going to involve a third team, they can only take a little bit so that the team really absorbing the star player still has to be smart. Um, beyond all that, no rules broken, sure, but definitely needs to be some limit sets on uh, what can be allowed because then you've got someone like Arizona sitting with thirty, nearly $30 million in contracts that will never set foot on the ice in their uniform. See, it's hard. I start. I see how the NHL is starting to take a page out of like the NFL, for instance, on how they have their cap gurus, as they as they've been called, where you have so many players and all this money that's been moving around and shuffling and getting pushed to different areas to allow all these star players to come to one team, where NHL is finally starting to catch on with some of the cap friendly hits here and there, and you. I guess you really start to see it in this draft where things are very spread out sporadically through different teams. And I I don't know if it necessarily the NHL should do anything about it because at the same time, look at how like the money is a little different from sport to sport. And being able to retain some of these star players and give them what they deserve and things like that and being able to move things around like – it's an art form in a sense to be able to kind of figure that out mathematically and fit everything all in one picture. I don't know if we will see any penalties or things change. I think Charles is right. Like we'll start to see it more because of the flat curve in COVID where, the, where it should have gone up X amount of millions, but it's, it hasn't. And it's teams are really kind of, trying to figure out how to manage some of these players that want that money, but they can't really afford to, and they don't want to lose them. So you're starting to, I think you're going to start to see this more and more because it's, it's starting to become a norm from the NFL and now slowly trickling into other leagues. I'm kind of with uh, Charles. I think they have to, they, like it can stay, but they have to like limit it. I say like, Two people on long-term IR for each team. That's all you're allowed. And you can trade the contracts, but each team can only have a maximum of two. If you want to jump into all of that contract gymnastics, good for you. I ain't doing it. Two per team. But I also think on the other end of the spectrum, with all like Arizona takes all of the money teams can't afford because, well, they don't have no fans for one. They don't have a... NHL arena, so they don't really have much of a 
payrolls. They've got to get. They've got to spend some money somewhere. It's part of the rules that they get to spend. Sixty million is the minimum you have to spend on contracts. Yeah. Mm. Right. They've got maybe five NHL caliber players down there. I don't actually know. I'm just spitballing here. Um, right. They got to fill some money in somewhere. So they take all the money. But I also think it's on the other end of that spectrum is a team like Tampa Bay or the Rangers. Um, for like, say like a example, like a three-year period, if you know you're really good, you should be allowed to go over the cap without long-term IR. And then introduce like the NBA does with the um, luxury tax, kind of like a soft cap. And I know Gary Bettman will never do that because he set on his hard cap nonsense. But if you're going to allow a team like Arizona to have basically half of their salary, guys who are basically retired, but they're on their books just to fill out that number, I think you should. Because at the end of the day, like if you have the, the luxury tax, well, that money gets distributed back to the other teams anyways through revenue sharing. So each team is still getting a little bit of money. And I just think it would allow more trades seasons like we had this year as well by doing that. So say like, you know, um, in three years from now, let's say the Flyers are really good. Picking a team near the bottom. They're really good. Like, okay, let's let's make a run here. We got a three-year window. Team like Chicago's still bad, but they got some good players. You know, we'll bring them over. Pay a little bit extra money. So it's still you can use the long-term IR, but I also like if you get introduce the soft cap, you don't really need a long-term IR issue. I I, I don't know if I agree with a soft cap because then you're gonna see baseball becoming hockey. Or hockey becoming baseball because then you're gonna you're gonna have the same three or four teams every year just sucking shit, just feeding off the tit, sucking the tit of all the rich teams. I don't know if I like it that much. Um, what I don't know. I'll throw this out there. See what you guys think. Any guy now they they, they have the provisions for anyone who signs a contract who's 35 years of age or older that if you have to buy them out, you're hit with a certain kind of cap penalty. How about creating a, a special designation for any guy who signs a contract? after age 32 and suffers a career ending injury, not related to an injury he suffered beforehand, something brand new that you can wipe that money off your books. And it's not LTIR. It's not nothing. The money comes off the books where it doesn't count towards your cap. You can still pay him his salary. So he still has an, as an, a livable wage. Cause you know, should a team be punished for an unforeseen injury three years after signing a guy? No. But should there should you have a team like Arizona, who I'm looking here, I mean, I, I I was really interested. I looked this all up today. Between the five contracts they have on LTIR for guys who will never play for them, plus their own guy Nick Schmaltz on IR, plus the salary retention, they are just short of 39 million dollars of their cap hit being on guys who aren't actually playing. So more than 50 percent of their cap hit. They're not even using LTIR space because they need they need the cap hits of Weber and Voracek, Glad, Little, and Brown just to hit the cap floor in the first place. But more than half their cap hit is guys who actually can't even put on a jersey right now for them. 
So I, I don't think teams should be allowed to pull that kind of a stunt. But, you know, maybe some sort of special designation for a guy like Johnny Taves or Marion Hosa who develop a medical condition where they, they can't put a jersey on. Should Chicago be penalized for the, for those contracts? So, I don't know. Uh, I don't like I said. I, I'm not sure. I, I want to see a soft cap come in. A mid-level exemption that basketball has is a possibility. You know, you can sign a guy to a contract, and then but you can exempt him so he doesn't count towards your cap or anything. That's a that's a possibility, as well as something to look at. Yeah, like adding that one player to a team could make the world a difference. That makes exactly. it like uh, in, based upon. I, I don't know how they would how they would figure it out. Based what would it be on? Based off of the percentage of the cap, like you know, no guy can sign for more than twenty percent of the cap. So uh, then, would you divide that by half as saying no, any guy making between six million, ten million, one player, you can just wipe off the books. Which at the same time also means that you know your super big stars who get paid lots, you still have to they still count for your cap. You can't just you can't circumvent the cap by by saying, oh, I can take my best player off the books. Like guys like Connor McDavid. just signed Pasternak, or is he over ten million? Eleven point two five, actually. Okay, okay, so he wouldn't count, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Pasternak, McDavid, uh. Carlson, McKinnon. Doughty, no, not, no, not so much Doughty, but uh, any guy pretty much making over ten million right now wouldn't be part of that ca- that uh, possible exemption. I, I think that's something that the NHL could look at to avoid the situation. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm liking all the ideas. It's just. There is a problem there, and something has to be done. Something's got to be changed. I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but something's got to change. I think even just to like stay relevant, like you look at all the leagues and different sports are like doing little thing, little changes here and there, like this to make it still more exciting and build fan bases and the game up more mm-hmm. and more. And I think, I don't know, something. Obviously, Gary Bettman will probably never go for any of this. Oh, God, no. Fuck no. <laughs> what, I mean, he's been there 30, 30 years. years. He ain't doing nothing else. But. Well, things won't change until he's gone in certain aspects. So, you know, I, you almost hate to say it, but. Baseball really didn't improve until Bud Bud Selig stepped down. Mm-hmm. All right. So this next theme that I saw kind of plays into a bigger discussion about the new playoff format, which they wanted to increase rivalries, increase the importance of division and divisional games. Uh, but the kind of talk that I'm seeing online, which I kind of agree with, is uh, when your opponent or potential opponent in the playoffs is making moves a la New Jersey, 
New York. Uh, you have Boston, Tampa, Toronto. You know where it seems like those are going to be your matchups. Uh, you're going to play one of those teams, uh, and you essentially feel the need to match your opponent because they made a move. But we are over a month away from the playoffs starting, and teams kind of already know who they're essentially going to play, which leaves the drama out of it. Uh, and in my instance, it kind of takes away from the rivalry. Like, oh, we know, like, it's not high school. You're going to go over and taunt the team in front of their school, you know, two weeks before the game. Be like, oh, we scared them. We got them. Oh, snap. Uh, I just feel like, like the first two years, it was like, okay, yeah, there's a rivalry. Like, we're going to play this team that we see, you know, how many times do they already see them? And potentially you might not see a team in the other uh, division until the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. So, like, I think it's kind of, it was a good experiment. Uh, it's kind of gotten flat, but even the players are kind of wanting the the one to eight kind of set up again. That just, you know, the NHL is always going to be, you know, anything can happen. It's the most exciting playoffs. Uh, because an eight seed can beat a one seed, uh, and it's happened many times. Uh, but this, you know, one versus wild card, two versus three, and then go from there. It just, it's not, it's not hitting the same. Uh, you know, only a few years, less than a decade since it's been implemented. Um, do you think this takes a little bit of the oomph out of the playoffs, or? Uh, do you still think it adds excitement? Do you think it's like, oh yeah, okay, our, you know, Toronto Tampa, it's gonna happen. We we know you might as well start playing now because it's you know they're gonna play each other. Do do you think that it's kind of lost its luster because you know some of these teams have gone, you know, Boston's already above 100 points. Boston's so, so far ahead of everybody. So, like, do you think that's the disadvantage of the setup is when teams are really good or, you know, there's three or four teams that are really good in one division and everyone else is meh, it it leaves the surprise, the allure, the whatever you want to call it, out of it. And that takes away from the speciality of what the rivalry was or was they were building towards. I think when a division and was used the Atlantic division, is as weak as it has been with, you know, really half the teams rebuilding for most of this current playoff format. It does it that takes the luster and the grandeur, I think is the word you were looking for, Justin, out of the possible playoff matchup because you know that the three of Boston, Toronto, Tampa, and the fourth team being the one that whatever team it is in the Atlantic who exceeds expectations, three of the four of them are going to make the playoffs. So you have a 75% chance of making it. So I, I, I think that's what's really hurt is that there are certain divisions where you already know one or two of the teams who are going to be there. I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, if anyone listening goes back and listens to our season preview, you'll see that so far, 
in the Atlantic and the Metro, we have most of us have two out of three teams right. So it w- wasn't that hard to to go with a sixty six percent success rate for picking who was going to be there. Um, I think the wild cards. I think um, you know, there's a there's some radical ideas you can do. I think the one the one versus eight is tried, tested, traditional. Uh, to borrow Chevy's old uh, slogan, try, tested, and true. Uh, no, 20, there's 25 cents of Chevrolet for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that you could, if you really wanted to make this this style of playoff be a little more adventurous, then you've got to go a little more. You have to take a small page out of the old, the early '90s playoffs, the Smythe and Adams divisions. Keep top three making the playoffs. You got you got two wild cards. The top wild card goes into the division that had the the, the lesser division winner, the second seed, and the bottom goes into the top. That being said, it's one versus three, two versus four. Instead of one, four, two, three. I would mix definitely it up change it up a bit. Mix it up a little bit. So yeah. right now, at the playoff stand now, by this by today, it's a little different. But just a couple days ago, I did the math. At the time when no the, the the it was Pittsburgh in uh, seventh and the Islanders in eighth. That's how it is right now, I believe. Yeah, Sorry, that's no, how it is. Yeah. That is the, the current standings. Islanders were in seventh at, at, at that time, and the Pittsburgh was in eighth. The current system and the one v eight would have been the exact same matchups, just three days ago. It, I actually worked it out. It would have been the exact same matchup, with one two being the division winners, and then everybody else where they were supposed to be, exact same matchup. So I, I don't think that's the problem. I think it's just that the divisions don't have eight strong teams is the problem. Um. You know, Pittsburgh's getting older. Otherwise, they would be like if, if this was Pittsburgh of 10 years ago, you, you'd have four very strong teams in the in the Metropolitan Division right now. Um, so, no, minor tweaks maybe to the playoff format, but the way it is should be fine. But the onus is on the teams to get better to make the playoffs more interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. Ottawa's making a, Ottawa and Buffalo. I mean, uh, Sean, you're, you're definitely paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Ottawa and Buffalo are making a late charge, and it could very well both knock out the Islanders and the Penguins. I think only one of those teams is going to make it. I think only one of Buffalo and Ottawa makes it, and one of the Islanders and Penguins gets knocked out. We'll see. But it's on the, the onus is on the teams to get better and to have faster rebuilds. I think that's going to be the thing we see really changing is more retools, not full down, not full on rebuilds. It's hard. Like even there's, there's so much back and forth with the new playoff format, because like you said, Charles, you just keep seeing those same teams battle it out every year now. And where after the first round, it just kind of like loses its appeal because half the good teams are out. So that's half the strong fan bases half the people are still paying attention to the playoffs and watching it every single night where the one for eight, like even Crosby made a kind of a comment during the all-star break 
talking about how we'd love to see that again because every year sometimes you'd see a new team in that eighth spot every now and then and you'd it'd be a new rivalry would come up a new chance for a team that just squeaked in the eighth seed that they could take it all and there was no saying they couldn't where this it's a little harder to make it just to that wild card spot because of how they formatted it and uh, I think I'd love to see the one verse eight again. I know it's old and they did it before, but I think it was just more fun. Different teams in the playoffs. Do you think they ever go uh, the NBA playoff route, the play-in route? I actually play-in. love the play-in route. I think that'd be a great idea for their probably the next uh, like switch up per se. I mean, it's great for the NBA. It, it gives those extra teams that are so close to being there that little extra push, and if they could get in, get in. I mean, even the NCAA went with a, with, with a quick play-in. Yeah. I don't see why not. The play-in, is it, fans. the play-in doesn't work with the divisional format, how they have it set up. Though. But no, but, like but it'd just the, be like the wild. If they went back to one to eight, that would definitely work, yeah. But, but, you, but you, it wouldn't really work with the don't wild Don't think it works for a wild card spot, Sean. I don't think it would work with the wild cards. But you can make it uh, the two, like, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten would battle it out. You know, seven, eight play, winner goes on, nine, ten play, and faces the the loser of seven, eight to play for the second wild card spot. Then you, the, the idea being you've got more teams thinking they have a shot at the playoffs. You get more fans tuning in, more money, more asses in the seats. It's all about the dollar bills at the end of the day. It's a business. Yeah. And then so, for a little bit too. So it would work. I just think because the East is so tight from the Pittsburgh down to Detroit, it, Ottawa, Detroit. Sorry, Detroit. Yeah, it's so tight already. Like all those teams still have a a chance. I don't want to say legitimate, but they all have a, like a realistic chance. If someone goes gets hot, like Ottawa is right now, this is basically their plan, right? They get hot, they get in. And how would the plan work? Would it be a one game off like the NBA? Or would yeah. it be a series? Because all like I know the NBA, there's there's all series as well, but I don't. No, I just it, I just don't know how the playing would work. And in, in it would have to be a one game. Point. It would have to be a best of one for hot to, to yeah. make it work. Otherwise, you got the Stanley Cup going to Canada Day at that point if it goes too much longer. Well, even I mean, NBA does a one off game for that. Season. I'm not opposed to that for their playing, so it it makes sense. So yeah. it would work better right now for. Uh, the East, because there are so many teams in, but if you go down to the West, like your, your, your quote unquote 10th seed is like the last team that potentially could get to a wild card because they are eight and that's Nashville. But if they were any lower, it would be what the NBA has because there are, well, especially in the East, there were, you know, there are four teams competing. The 10th seeded team in the, Actually, I haven't looked at the NBA standings in a while. Um, but at a time, it was like a team that was like 500. And then you start to Isn't get it the that. Raptors below 500. Well, the Raptor, yeah. Raptors are in ninth right now, and they are below. Oh. They are so below. the Wizards hold the 10th, and they are 30 and 32. Yeah. The Raptors are in the ninth, so they'd be in the playoffs. They're 31 and 33. And the eight-seeded Hawks are 31 and 31. So yeah. the East is still trash in the NBA. 
Um, at least some teams have gotten slightly better. The Knicks are 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 holding it up, but that that's what the potentially you get that in the West in the NHL is just teams that you're just like, you know, teams would be like, oh, we made the playoffs. It's like, no, you made the play in when you were, you know, thirty eight and or forty two and forty two. It's like those NFL teams that win the division at seven and nine. They get a playoff game and a home game, but they they other than that they have no reason. So it there's never going to be a perfect playoff where, where you get no trash teams. But I'm trying to remember my thought because I so I think the way that the format changes to maybe a play-in game because that you know that works again in the East the way the East is right now. But let's say, you know, Ottawa and Buffalo, they're on the rise. Detroit is as well. Florida, you know, who knows? But say, you know, Montreal, they get Connor Berdard and they're like, guys, we did it. Like, we're we're on the rise. The second you have a team where the top three are solidified, maybe the next two in that same division – uh, are in the wild card. The second you have a playoff or a team that has way more points, but they're in a stacked division, and they would have replaced the top three in the other. That's when you're going to get the people complaining because you know, say Montreal misses out on a wild card by a point, but they would have been first in the Metropolitan. Or close yeah. to they were, or they would have finished second if they were in the Metropolitan, based on points. I think the second that happens in either the East or the West, that's when you're going to get an uproar, and hockey fans, especially in Canada, create a very big uproar that people have to listen to because we're a large majority of the fan base and the dollars. I think that's when you're going to get a serious consideration that a maybe we need to tweak or change or add a play in because if a team in the one versus eight would have made it and that's the major argument is hasn't happened yet but the second that a team that would have made it in the one to eight can't because of the current configuration that's when you're going to get at least that fan base to be like this sucks. I'll say I got two things with the current format one you made a really good point with just what you just said there i never even thought about that but that's a good point but also my biggest gripe with the current format is two of the rangers devils lightning and toronto are out in the first round four of the top six teams in the league are out in the first round so that's obviously not good for as somebody I forget who may have been Cole viewership, right? You got these big markets, these big fan bases having this great season. Well, now their team's out in the first round because of how the format is aligned. Uh, one versus eight, you might still have something like that. Um, I but it wouldn't be the same teams year after year. Like Toronto, they play Boston year after year and lost. Now it's Tampa Bay they're playing year after year. Um, I think I would personally would like to see this. It's really radical, 
we'll do a one to 16. Yes. Just the overall top 16 teams in the league get into the playoffs. And then you can do like one, one play 16 like that. We just to make it the easiest way to configure a playoff bracket. And if that method was happening, your first round would be Toronto and Colorado. Oh, hell yes. I mean, that'd be a fun first round series, right? I mean, travel would be really bad. They can figure out the logistics of that if they were to consider it. But I would like to see that. And you could have two Eastern Conference teams winning the Stanley Cup or two Western Conference teams. Would a battle of Alberta for the Stanley Cup be so bad, though? Not at all. Ontario, right? Like, would that be bad for the game? I personally don't think so. Uh, there's um, definitely a timeline radical? where that exists, and is it uh, is it radical? Yes. Will it will it ever happen? As long as Gary's bet Batman's around, hell fucking no. Um, but you know, I just that's my thing. I just I just don't like to see these really good teams, especially in the East this year, because the East is so top heavy. You're losing two of them right away. You know, radical solutions sometimes are the best because then we have one solution right now. You go radical the other way, and then you come back in the middle, and everyone's happy at the end of it all. Kenzie, is there any northern uh, ingenuity that can fix our problem here? No, I'm just kind of listening to all the different solutions again, and <laughs> I, I'm kind of personally kind of over the way the system is now. Um it was interesting the first couple of years, like you'd said, but now it's getting kind of stale. Um, we've seen the one to eight in our lifetime. That works well. I do like the idea of kind of just take out 16 games, mix them into a blender. Let's go. It, it's not as radical as I think maybe five to 10 years ago, especially with this change. I think we kind of know what we're missing. And then that excitement, like you said, a Toronto versus Colorado battle of Alberta, Ontario for the Stanley cup, you know, battle of, you know, having a subway series for the Stanley cup, like they did in baseball, like there, the endless possibilities that can come of everything. Uh, brand and, you know, rivalries. Brand, brand new rival, exactly. You know, we like that East and West division, but, you know, is, is that other than for travel, like regular season, I think it makes sense. But then, like you said, like come playoffs, you know, eventually an East and a Western team are going to have to play and they figure that out. So, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not as, it's not as out there as I think. Uh, and will we all like to see, you know, a 40-year-old Sidney Crosby playing a 41-year-old Alex Ovechkin for the Stanley Cup? You know, one last hurrah for both of them. They go out, one of them goes out a champion. Right? I think I think we can all get behind that. You, you, you mentioned, Cole mentioned viewership. Sean just talked about, is it good for the game? And I, I don't think there's a, any better way to put on what it. The two of you guys nailed it in one. Just put it in one sentence, there, guys. A subway series, a battle of Ontario, battle of Alberta. You know, two two surefire first ballot Hall of Famers, Crosby and Ovechkin, meeting for a cup. Um, and they were the faces of the NHL coming out of the lockout. The NHL pretty much built their entire marketing campaigns around those two young studs back at the time. Now they're not so young anymore. Um, 
No, I, I don't think it could be any better for the game, and I, I think it would be the best way to marquee for a marquee event of the Stanley Cup Finals is to have rivalries. Because then you add the extra spice. Like, wouldn't matter if it's a battle of Alberta. You'd have the entire country of Canada, which we did tune in for that second round series last year between Edmonton and Calgary. Everyone wanted to watch that because that was damn good hockey. Just didn't like. I wanted to go seven games, not five. Well, and everyone again assumed that it was going to happen again this year, and Calgary's in danger of not even getting a wild card. So, they, you they know, are, the, the the chance they're like, oh, we're, it's going to be like this for years to come. But it's not. You know, Seattle comes in, and it's like, hey, we're here now. You let us be a team, remember? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and I I think the third theme that kind of goes along with it is like you, you know the bulk up the. The teams used to do it, you know, go for, you know, get rentals, maybe make something of it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But more or less, you're bulking up for the team that you're, you know, Toronto knows they're going to play Tampa. So Tampa is like, okay, we, you know, we're building to beat Toronto and get into the second round and see what happens. You, You bulk up to see, you know, who you're playing first. But a lot more teams like Pittsburgh, like, you know, I know we've been saying it maybe the past two years, the last kick of the can. We really feel like this is Pittsburgh's last kick at the can. Uh, and, you know, in a few years, they're going to be a shell of what they were. And, you know, some teams that have, you know, put everything in for a magic pot of beans one last time. I think they're they're going to be hurting more than what we've seen in the past. And I think this trade season is really going to show, you know, a lot of those those sellers know that, you know, our time's going to be in a couple of years, but some of those buyers are looking for one last chance. They're, you know, maybe the fans don't know it, but I think the team is just like, all right, we'll be good again in 2030. Like, let's see how this one last ride goes because it's going to be a bumpy ride the next rest of the decade. All right, so. We've kind of talked about who we think are winners and losers of this trade season. Um, do we want to get the obvious winners and losers out of the way, or uh, are there surprise winners or losers that you know we didn't think they'd be in this conversation, but are? Whether it's for this season or for the future, I think the well, obviously the obvious big winner is Toronto as far as I'm concerned, in terms of what they were able to do, with the Rangers right behind them. Uh, but I think the loser category <laughs> is a little more interesting because there were a few teams out there that I think should have done something but didn't. Chief among them, the Calgary Flames. They they really needed a kick in the ass, a little shot in the arm to, to say, hey, we can do this. Um, but they just... I don't know. They, they 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 seem as if they're waiting for something. They're waiting for a sign. They're waiting for the magical solution to be, to be given to them instead of going to go find it themselves. Um, all in all, I think the, uh, the way too many teams treaded water at the deadline. Not too many. Th- outside of the obvious five in the Eastern Conference who were swinging for the fences, not too many teams took home run shots. Uh, you know, you didn't see Carolina take a home run shot. I kind of think they needed to. 
because sure they'll get past a wildcard team probably do they have enough to get by New Jersey or the, or New York don't know Carolina they're they're an enigma as good as they are they're to me they're they're uh, very much an, an enigma as to what you also have just there. point out there Charles the Devils are only one point back of Carolina so there it's not go. like they're running away with the Metro like Boston is the Atlantic. Exactly. Carolina might not even make it out of the first round. <laughs> they could perceive they could potentially have to go against the Rangers. And as much as Carolina is fast, the Rangers have the experience, and experience usually beats youth any day of the week. Usually. Yeah. And look, the yeah. Rangers made a good push last year and they went out and got a couple extra pieces to make that push even deeper this year. They got that taste of that playoffs of what their team could handle and unfortunately just missed out. But now these two great additions, like, who knows? And I think the Rangers got something that they they were sorely lacking last year. They've got a guy who's been to the Stanley Cup Finals three times. They, they've, they've got a guy who knows that extra little bit just to get over the hump. And like you said, they just missed out on the finals last year. They went all the way to the final four. They just missed out on it. And I think the, the addition of Patty Kane, not so much on the ice, but more so in the locker room, it's going to be going to make a world of difference. Kind of like how I think Ryan O'Reilly in the locker room is going to make a world of difference at the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Big time. So uh, I think Pittsburgh's a bit of a loser, actually, despite the uh, three additions they made. Because it feels like they're grasping at straws. They're, they're, they're holding on by a thread and they're just they're begging for a lifeline. So I, I, I don't think what they did was actually the right move for them. Um, and you know what? <laughs> just to throw it out there one more time, the Coyotes for making themselves even more of a laughing stock than they already were. Agreed. I will throw what am I under the radar, kind of under the radar, I guess. Uh, winners, Justin and Cole, you might appreciate me saying this. The Ottawa Senators and getting Jacob Chikrin, you know, solidifies the defense with Chikrin, Shabbat, uh, Sanderson, right? Like their they're forwards are clicking, you know, Kachuk is. He's having a hell of a year. Stutzel's having a hell of a year. Giroux's having a hell of a year. I can keep going, but like you both already know, so I don't have to for you guys. Um, keep going, Sean. Yeah, they, I, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they, they, uh, they were a winner in my opinion. Um, a loser, Charles kind of mentioned Carolina. You know, they did they need to make a move to be competitive? I mean, no, because they've been good all year. But when you see what your potential opponents are doing in the playoffs, you probably should do something to just give your team that extra little advantage. Uh, is Puglia-Yarvi and Gosses Bear difference makers? I mean, if they have a moment, maybe, but no, right? Like odds are they're not going to make a huge impact. But maybe Puglia-Yarvi plays with Aho and Teravainen and the Finns develop you know, a little bit of finish. You know? 
and they carry them. Um, you know, you know, anything can happen. Uh, and then as a Sabres fan, I'm going to say this. They struck out terribly. Uh, they're right there. The team has shown the general manager, Kevin Adams, that they can compete. Last night was not a very good example of that. If anybody watched that game or saw the highlights, they got their asses handed to them by Boston. But Boston is it's so much better than everybody this year. Um, but I think they, the players in that locker room deserved the GM to go out and try to add somebody. They were rumored in the Jacob Chikrin thing. There was a slight chance they were, they weren't really mentioned in the Timo Meyer, but it, like I listened to Sabres podcast, like those guys said, you know, like there's, he called San Jose to inquire, you know, there were, they were, but I mean, any general manager would do your job and inquire what it will take. They had the pieces to make a big move. They got first round pick this year. They had three seconds. They got four A quality prospects, which is nice to have. There's only so many roster spots to go around. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to make it on the big club, right? And if you can give up two of them for a player like Chickren or Meyer, well, now you're good for the playoff run and you're setting yourself for the future still. So I think the Sabres, they struck out big time. I mean, they added Riley Stillman as a depth defenseman. If you have never heard of Riley Stillman, I don't blame you. And uh, Jordan Greenway, again, not really a big name. He's really struggled this year. Hasn't done much in Minnesota. I think he has six points all season. Seven. That was close, okay? For just like putting <laughs> stats out of my ass, that was close. Um, no, right? So, Even it sound like an ass, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think they really they really struck out. And then, like you said, also Charles Calgary. I mean, they got an outside chance of getting in. They didn't make any moves, so I'm calling it now. Calgary season's done. The eight teams that are currently in a playoff spot in the West are the eight teams we're going to see. However, they're all separated by like six or seven points. The matchups won't be determined until the last few games, but those will be the eight teams we see in the playoffs. Before you go, before uh, you know, Cole and Kenzie chime in, sorry, you guys, one second. Don't feel, you know, don't sleep on Jordan Greenway. He had a he's a he's a playoff performer. He is the quintessential, you know, forget about him regular season, but come the playoff time, Justin Williams level. No, no relation to our illustrious host. Um no, uh he is a six foot six wrecking ball who was big who's done done big things for Minnesota in the playoffs. Your the Buffalo Sabres are a big fucking team. Owen Powers, 6'6", six, six, almost 6'7". Six, and I don't know if you, but I, I had a chance to see him uh, one time when Buffalo came to Ottawa, and I was sitting right down near ice level. That is a big son of a gun. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. His, his, but his size and the way he skates, it is underrated. <laughs> he, he's, he's doing all this this season under the radar because Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck are taking a lot of the spotlight. So Tage Thompson's also 6'7", himself. Exactly. And Tuck's so, not small. And Tuck's not a small man either. <laughs> it's like six, three or six, four. Yeah, it's exactly. Big. So getting Jordan Greenway, while it may not seem like – well, yes, you guys did strike out on a lot of players. You had There was rumors of you guys going after JVR, uh, Timo Meyer. You were you, you were kicking the tires on. 
there was a, a couple of. I mean, Patty Kane was rumored to go there because it's his home, it's home hometown. There was yeah. loose thoughts that it might happen. But don't sleep on Jordan Greenway if you guys sneak into the playoffs. No, for me, you have to make it. Sure, there's a lot of things going. There's a lot of things that have to happen for you to make it there. Uh, but if you got, if you make it, you'll be thankful you picked up Jordan Greenway. He is. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I just I don't think that if I'm looking at the roster that Jordan Greenway is the piece that puts them into the playoffs. Is he good? It will be good in the playoffs. You're probably right. He will be. But will he get them there? Actually, probably not. There are two guys who are going to get you there, named Taves Thompson and Craig Anderson. It's going to come down to them. You're forgetting a third name. I'm going to point this out. Rasmus Darlene, baby. Well, okay, Darlene. No, Darlene's good, but impactful, you know, game savers. It's going to be tough. It's going to be Taves Thompson and Craig Anderson. Darlene will probably get not get anywhere near the credit he may deserve. And he might be the silent member of a trio, but the two the two faces will get you in will be those two guys I mentioned. Well, that's fair. That's I just yeah I just as a fan of the team, right? You want more out of your team, and and they massively underperformed in my eyes. So I'm gonna give them a big F grade on their trade deadline report card, and I'll send it off to Kevin Adams tomorrow. Also, no, one, <laughs> don't feel don't feel too bad about what Boston did to you. It'd be like me or Justin stepping into the ring with Brock Lesnar and getting our asses handed to us and someone saying, well, you got an F. It's like, yeah, it's fucking Brock Lesnar. Well, they yeah. got an F to Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I watched that game because it was actually televised up here in Canada last night. They were in the game for like a good chunk of it. I think it was 2 nothing, 3 nothing, midway through the third. And then they, a couple of those were empty netters and, you know, you're going for it to try to get something and Boston's just Boston this year. Like, there's nothing else to say about that. Yeah. Boston is just killing everybody. It was one nothing Boston after two, and I remember I turned to my wife and said, "That might be an ups- upset happening. That, that could happen." <laughs> and unfortunately, it, it, we know what happened there. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was not pretty at the final score. Sorry, Kenzie and Cole, I kind of got way off traffic. Way, way off topic here for you. <laughs> oh, that was great. You never have to be sorry about those conversations, Charles. <laughs> um, winners, losers. For me, one of your big winners, obviously, and I hate to say this, is Toronto. Um, adding what they added, all those players, um, it makes them better for the playoff run. They may actually win a round, as painful as that is to say. They may actually get past round one now, um, depending hey, on who hey, they Even the Dallas Cowboys can win one playoff round. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> don't mean they won two. Nope. Um, and a loser for me, there's two. Um, Carolina, for obvious reasons. I heard, I'd heard that they were in on a few guys, but just didn't have the offer that the other teams did the other loser for me and I'm, i guess i'm just confused because maybe they're retooling again um the vancouver canucks yeah so because i'm not sure what they're doing you you say you doing. say they're vancouver guys but they're bringing guys in and they're bringing in picks but then they're trading picks like 
next year they are already in cap hell for next year if they don't do anything and they have nothing to show for it and they're a hot garbage mess yes and it's evident to everyone as uh you know um Paul Bissonette uh, made it clear on the last episode, but it just, I don't know, like you said, how did it go so wrong when they showed promise at least last year and then they look good in the bubble. They continue to grow and then they just seem to forget how to play hockey. Yeah. Well, having three coaches on contracts now that's being paid doesn't help whatsoever. That organization needs to come to Jesus moment. Yes. Starting yes. not the players. The the ownership and the GM need to come yeah. to Jesus moment and have a clear vision of what they're going to do and not trying to change it every 6 months. Yeah. Yeah, cuz that is one thing. You do have to and I I've said this for years in order to build a successful team in any sport, you need to have a coaching staff and a system. You need consistency every six months. What sort of consistency is that? So yes, they're a mess. Yes. They're in cap hell, but they're making moves that are just bizarre. Like if you're in cap hell, start trading guys. Don't be bringing guys in. Yeah. Like how is Brock Besser still there? Yeah. (laughs) Like he was rumored to be traded to a whole host of teams. Well, and that's the other part of why I say Vancouver's a loser because they had guys that were supposed to be gone and they didn't they only moved Horvat. Yeah. Really? Like what about what about all the other guys that were rumored to be gone? Not even a rumor yesterday, today. Nope. Just crickets. So yeah. you know, a little confused by Vancouver. Sounds like they're asking too much for certain players. Something happened, but just bizarre by by my books. I think by everybody's books here, Kenzie, just like all of us here have been following hockey, analyzing it, and been involved with it for decades. I'm not even sure if our combined knowledge can figure that out. So yeah, that's why I put them as a loser because I don't know what they're doing. But you know what, Charles? They could give us a shot and it might work. The five of us could be co-GMs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you you joke, you jest, but you know what? I, I'm willing to bet an entire year of my salary that I make right now, which albeit may not be that much money compared to what other people in the world make. But I would put a year's worth of my salary on the line saying the five of us could sit down, come to a consensus as to what our vision would be, and and give us three years, and that team would be respectable and on a way to being a contender faster than what Patrick Alvin can do. And if we don't, they're still going to be paying us in three to five years. <laughs> yes, <buddy. laughs> Woo! Let's do it. Justin, you're the closest one to Vancouver. Set us up, man. I will begin my trek now. And, you know, by the time I get there, they won't know what to do. And I'll be like, guys, we got five brains. Slide them to like, business Whoa. card. And we'd be like, we are cheaper than anybody you're paying now. They'd be like, wow, sold. 
But no, uh, my God, we, we could sit here all night talking about how what the, that dumpster fire that's in Vancouver. So, coming out of this, realistically, who do we see? Um, okay, on the you know at least the Atlantic, we're pretty confident that no one's going to catch the three there. Uh, you know, there might be maybe Pittsburgh if they you know get hot, and you know the Rangers supposedly being a super team. Uh, you know, I, I think that those six teams, at least in the East, are are set. They're not moving out of those three positions. Who do we think? And I guess we could add, who do we want to see get the wild cards? Because sometimes, you know, our heart and our brains fight. Um, obviously, you know, one of my answers. Um. But, you also, know, there, there is gonna, truth to that. So I'm not crazy I'm like at the start real, of the season. I'm going to make this real simple for three of you guys on the podcast. Real damn simple. The Eastern Conference, two wildcard spots will come down to two of the three following teams. Pittsburgh Penguins, the Buffalo Sabres, and the Ottawa Senators. The Islanders are just, they've thrown too many points away. Everyone's got at least three or four games in hand on them. They're fucked. Both yeah, some of the some fucked. of the scheduling this year, like Colorado has only played fifty nine games. Islanders have played sixty four. Most teams are up around the fifty nine sixty game mark now. It's yeah, the Islanders and one or two others who are so far ahead at sixty three and sixty four. Yeah, like there was. Yeah, there was. I think for some teams there was at least a six to seven game gap. Which like, I, I don't know how that happens. Uh, well, that was Buffalo because they had two games postponed back around Christmas because of the blizzard they got. So the Sabers last week, I think it was, they were like three or four points out of a playoffs, but had like six games in hand on the Islanders. But now they've played, they've replayed a couple of those games, so now they're down to like three games back, and I well, don't remember off the top of my head like four or five points. Well, they're right now. T- the Sabers are tied with Ottawa, four points back at Pittsburgh. Four, yeah. Well, like I said, it's going to come down to the Penguins, the Senators, and the Sabers for those two wild card spots. Uh, Justin and Cole, you'll be battling Sean. I think one of you guys is going to be disappointed as to who doesn't get in. Somehow, I think Pittsburgh is just going to know. Uh, you don't, we don't know, Sean. We don't know. Craig Anderson has done miraculous things before. Cole and Justin can attest to it. Hey, I, I would. If you know he's he's the guy to have, uh, yeah. No yeah. matter his age, never count him out. But you know what? The Islanders will, will will fade away. Pittsburgh will somehow hold on to a playoff spot. I just don't see them fading out completely. Could happen. I just don't see it. All things all things are possible in the NHL. We know this. Um, except for catching Boston, that's just not going to happen this year. Um. <laughs> No, fuck no. no, no. But yeah, that is, so I'm pretty sure that uh, Justin, Cole, and Sean, your answers will mirror mine somewhat. But yeah, it's going to come down to two of those three teams for the wild card spots. But I am going to say I mean, one thing before you guys pick up. Go back to October. I was right. Florida regressed hardcore. 
Yeah, I think most of us saw that coming. At least, I mean, I did for sure. They just gave up way too much last year and um, the trade they made. You know, yeah, Kachuk has been a difference maker down there, but losing Uyghur was huge. And then also doesn't help having Barkov out for stretches of the year. But, but, uh, but Florida's not one of my picks. I'm going to stop talking about Um, I think the two wild cards will be Ottawa at eight. They'll be the, the eighth team. So they'll play Boston. Have fun, Justin Cole. Cheering for you from the sidelines. And uh, Pittsburgh, like you said, Charles. Um, I do think the Islanders will fall. I think now you guys keep saying Craig Anderson for the Sabres, but he only plays one game a week. It's uh, the guy. No one's name. Nobody can say his name. Uka Pekka Lukanen, as I like to emphasize that he's actually the guy they're going with. So I don't know. I, I think they will fall a little bit. They'll be competitive. They'll be right there. Um, if Pittsburgh's health, like if Tristan Jari goes down again, I think the Sabres and Senators could both squeak in. Do you think the last I'm game saying, of the season, Ottawa-Buffalo, do you think that... It, it, it could mean everything. Um, Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, if that's a game, you know, winner goes to the playoffs, um, so we might have, have a little Zoom session going. I'm down for that. Nobody would have imagined that last game of the season, Ottawa Buffalo for a playoff spot. I think. Cole, what about you? I guess on par with everyone. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I definitely say I'd love to see Ottawa in there. I mean, this push has been amazing. Uh, their just win streak has just increased like you no know, tomorrow, and they've they're finally gelling, they're finally clicking, coming together. Well, I, I think mean, that's think... the important part too. Is you make a trade like Chickering, if by chance you don't make the playoffs, you have your 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 team set, and you can see what you can do. And next year is just you know you have a better start, and you know look exactly. what position you would have been in. So. That's and just like me talking as a fan. Goalies. And not having five goalies, I think, makes the world a difference. Yes. Like, imagine we had two regular healthy goalies. Where, where in the mix could we have been this whole time, right? But I, I think it could come down to the last few pushes between Ottawa, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh. But pending Jari, and he just came back from injury. He's been somewhat injury prone the last little bit who knows could be ottawa buffalo and the you know what I'll, I'll take boston because when the last game we played against them um and we don't play them anymore for the rest of the season you know a, a th- close 3-1 game those are the types of teams that powerhouse teams if they you know don't dominate or struggle with in a seven game series, they strike a little bit of fear. Um, you know, that and it shows what those like top teams are made of. If they win, you know, usually those are like the oh, you know, 
had to beat them in six and then they have an easier route because they went through adversity in the first round or you know there are some times where you know boston being like oh like ottawa's going to be tricky instead of being like yeah new york islanders all right like let's just get this out of the way so the you know even buffalo as well like there there's those teams that are picking up at the right time that those you know even carolina or whoever finishes top of the metro is like i don't know like don't want them to in the back of their heads of course they're never going to say that in person but you know as a fan and as you know we've played the game we know Ottawa beat the first game against boston too they're one and one no actually ottawa's ottawa's the only one of the two teams to beat them twice yep so i mean if i'm ottawa i'm saying bring on like like justin said bring on boston We we ain't got no fear yeah, if we lose, we lost to a team that already has a hundred points with twenty games left. Like, so there's no shame in that. And you guys did beat them the last time you played the playoffs against them. That was a oh, oh, 2017. What a time! <laughs> now the West is not as solidified, so. Ah. Actually, I'm going to go with Sean. I think it is pretty well solidified. The exact seating, maybe not, but the eight teams, I think it pretty much is. Oh, so, sorry. That's what I meant. I meant that it's it's different. So uh, in the East, it's solidified. Like, no one's really moving except for the wild card. Whereas in the West, the, most of the teams have fallen off, but it's the seating that's going to be interesting. Because uh, you have teams like, uh, you know, Winnipeg's held on for a lot of the uh, a lot of the year. And, you know, they're a point back. Uh, you know, Edmonton is tied with Seattle. They're only four points back at LA. Um, you know, it's those teams that are in it that will make the playoffs. They're a lot closer to leapfrog wildcard to in the division. Um, do, who do we, do we think, you know, both Winnipeg and Edmonton, uh, We'll we'll jump in. Do we think they'll finish top three? Do we think they'll finish wild card? I think no. I, Winnipeg's just gone through a bit of a cold stretch lately because they've been sitting first or second in their, their division most of the year. Yeah, um, which was way higher than most of us thought they would be. I had them as a bit of a wild card team coming into the year. Uh, I think with, with their with the additions they have, Nino Niederreiter, um, they picked up one other guy today. Um, help me out here, guys. Looking, Namastinkov. Thank you. <clears throat> One of the only two guys I think to be traded four times on deadline day, along with Alan May. But there, there's your history lesson of the day. Um, I, I think that provides them some secondary scoring, which they've lacked most of the last month. Um, so it's, it's not always Kyle Connor, Shifley, and Wheeler having to do do the lifting. Nikolai Ehlers needs to get hot. He missed most of the year so far. He's only been playing, what, fifteen games? So he's only playing Sounds about right, yeah. So he needs he needs to get hot. He needs to get his wheels going. Uh, uh, they've got an all-world goalie in Hellebuck behind them. He gives them a chance every night. They, they shake this off. They'll be just fine. They'll place top three in their division. Edmonton, I think, will actually place top three. Seattle will be a wild card team. I think that which would be still playoffs in their second year. 
not quite as illustrious as Vegas, but still pretty damn good for how they started their franchise out. Uh, problem, problem in the West. Colorado is going to get Gabe Landeskog back, whether it's just before the season ends or right at playoff time. He's not going to have the miles on his body that a lot of other players do. You give the Avalanche a healthy Gabe Landeskog along with, you know, you know, uh, Nico Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, Bowery Neskuskin. Lars Eller. I think now that there's one there that will Lars Eller be the Arteri Lekkinen of this year for them? We'll see. They still have Lekkinen there anyway. I don't know if I want to, I don't care where the Avalanche finish, wild card or not. I don't, if they get healthy, that's not a team I want to face come playoff time. Don't care who, I don't care who the opponent is. Not really sure I want to face a healthy Avalanche. If they don't get Landis Clog at all, they ain't quite as scary because the offense becomes a little top heavy at that point. Linus Gog lets them uh, slot everybody else out where they're supposed to be in, and then they're a lot scarier. So, just keep an eye on Colorado. I don't want to be playing them if they get Landis Gog back and Kale McCarr. Oh, yeah. After yeah, winning the say, Cup. Yeah. I'll say Edmonton's actually going to win the Pacific. They're going oh. to number one. Wow, I think Mc, the 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 streak that McDavid's on, he's not going to keep up this two goal a game pace for the next twenty games. If he does, though, we'll be all be shocked. He might, <laughs> um, but he he's going to carry that team into the playoffs. He is determined, and the moves they made, like Ekholm, is a good move. You know, they made some moves. We'll see how the goaltending hold, ultimately holds up. It's been a little iffy all year, but I think Edmonton wins the Pacific. Uh, it'll, it'll go uh, L.A., Vegas, Seattle. That's how I look at the Pacific lining up. And the Winnipeg and the Central, I think, will finish three. Colorado is going to win the Central. Similar Charles said, they're going to get healthy. They've been on an absolute tear as well lately. So I think Colorado wins the Central, Dallas is two, Winnipeg's three, which means Minnesota will be the second wild card. Who finishes higher, Edmonton or Colorado then? Um, I believe Edmonton's ahead right now, correct? Uh, they're ahead by a point, but Colorado has only played 59 games, so they're, right. they have okay. three games at hand. So based on just the games in hand alone, I think Colorado. They're also a deeper team than Edmonton. Like Edmonton, it's been, they're, they're top heavy. Like if McDavid and Drysdale aren't scoring, they're not winning too many games. Um, so I think Colorado will be the number one seed, and Edmonton will be the number two seed in the West. So. And I'm predicting a rematch in the Western Final, Colorado-Edmonton. If Colorado's healthy, I don't. I think you might be right. That could be a matchup, too. Everybody healthy? Well, 
in relative terms, you're never healthy by the time you get to the Western Finals. <laughs> hey, you're not wrong. <laughs> it's how many bodies can stand on two legs. and Or in the case of Eric Carlson and Leon Dreisaitl, one. <laughs> how strong is that one leg? Yeah, it can count yeah. for two. <laughs> as long as they put the biscuit in the basket, that's all that matters. All right. Well, it's been an exciting month plus. It's been an exciting day. It's been a long day. As you can tell, people have been up for a long, long time. It's way past everyone's bedtime. So thank you so much for joining us on this long episode. Uh, this is just the start. It's an exciting time in the sports world. So uh, stay tuned uh, to our this episode, thank uh, as long as you made it through the entirety, uh, you know, we'll be shifting gears, talking, getting ready for the baseball season coming up, uh, continuing with our series look, and uh, then by then, you know, World Baseball Classic, playoffs, NBA, and uh, NHL, and it's warm weather time, so there's no better time to be a sports fan than right now. Uh, for all of us here at the Sports United Podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, find us on our social media pages. Send us an email. Uh, we have giveaways coming real, real soon, so stay tuned for that. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay not buried in snow if the storm is affecting you. And sport on.